Good morning. It is always good to be with you. Uh, if you would, just right here at the beginning of the sermon, if you'll notice that we have some uh, note booklets that go along with this current sermon series. They should be just on the inside of, of the end of each pew. Uh, we hope that we have enough coverage for the entire room. Uh, this is just a, a simple way to follow along, not only with the, the message this morning, but also to follow along with what we're going to be talking about in, in trying to, to make a difference in your daily life. Uh, there's going to be a space that you'll see, a box for kind of a, a key definition of what fasting is. And I want to just make you aware that I'll be saying lots of different things about fasting during my sermon, but I will let you know when I'm giving you that, that kind of clear-cut definition of what we, we want you to think about when you think of the, the practice of fasting. And it'll be up on the screens, and it'll be clear and then there's some additional space for you to take other notes of, of anything else that strikes you or, or a thought that you have. Uh, but we want this to be a really simple, practical way for us to, to dig deep into each one of these practices each week. And that's why we have these notebooklets. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for leading us every day on a journey that's closer to you. We praise you for saving us through Jesus Christ. And we are grateful to you for changing us through Jesus' living example even now. And as we open our hearts to your word, we invite you to call us to something more. And not just for our sake, but also for the sake of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was an undergraduate at ACU, I worked as a resident assistant. For several of those years, uh, but one of those years I worked at Smith Adams dorm and I happened to work alongside of uh, a guy named Grant. And Grant was just somebody that I, I immediately after meeting him knew that we'd be friends. Shared a lot of the same interests, we, we were both Bible majors and so we, we read a lot of the same things, we we're thinking about the same kinds of things about not just school, but about our future. And, and one of the things that, that I really liked about Grant from the beginning was a sense of his unwavering integrity. Uh, no matter what, Grant wanted to do what he believed God was asking him to do. He, he wanted to do the right thing. What that meant as a resident assistant for the guys on his floor was, if, if you did the crime, you were going to do the time. Right? He, everyone respected him and looked up to him, but they knew that whatever the, the handbook said was the disciplinary action for what you did, you were going to have to face the music. And yet, on, on the other hand, Grant was, was also warm and inviting. Uh, he, he was this interesting mixture of laid back and focused, um, easygoing but determined, and he was able to, to balance that in his life and in the way he treated other people. And and to this day, I really look up to that kind of, of welcoming, warm spirit, but also this sense of, I, I need to do, I want to do what's right, I want to do what God's asked me to do. Well, one of the habits that Grant had in his life when he was getting ready to make what he felt like was a really important decision, he would fast for three days and pray during those days before he made that decision. And I, I grew up in a family where we just didn't really do that. We, we prayed before we made big decisions, but nobody in my family 
skipped a meal for a spiritual reason. We skipped meals for other kinds of reasons, but it wasn't for a spiritual reason. And so the, the first time, I, you know, Grant said he was fasting and, and getting ready to make a decision. I thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. And then the second time he did it, I thought, well, that's, that's kind of weird. And the third time he did it, I thought, okay, enough of this. Like, God can speak to you on a full stomach, Grant. And I remember telling him, you know, I'm worried that you're going to get to a point where, especially if God hasn't spoken to you until day three, you're not going to hear him because your stomach's going to be rumbling so loud, you're not going to hear anything. And he didn't laugh either when I said that to him. But I just thought, what what is this about? And, And one of the things early on that I didn't want to admit was Grant was making me uncomfortable because he was doing something in order to get closer to God that I knew at that point I just wasn't willing to do. It really wasn't that I didn't understand what Grant was trying to do when he would fast. It was that I wanted to come up with all kinds of reasons why I didn't need to fast before I made a major decision. One night, he he came into my room. It was a little after 11 o'clock, and we were getting uh, closer and closer to graduation. And he said, look, I have a few different options of of where I can go and where I can work. And I, I know that God can bless me in whatever job I choose and whatever city I live in, but I, I still want to try to make this decision not for myself, but for the sake of, of what God might be calling me to do. And so I, I'm going to fast and pray for the next three days, but I feel like this decision is just too big of a decision for me to make on my own. And so I've asked my parents if they would to fast and pray for the next three days and and listen to God on my behalf. And I'm asking you, Jared, if you'll fast for the next three days and pray for me. And we'll, we'll sit down in three days and we'll talk about what it is you think God is calling me to do. I was gonna say no. I meant to say no. But then I heard myself saying, yeah, Grant, that's, that's great, man. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. I'll fast for the next three days, and I'll pray. You know, during those times that I would otherwise be having breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I'll, I'll, I'll use that additional space in my schedule to, to listen to God on your behalf. And, and then, yeah, man, we'll talk about it, and, and, and I'm confident that this is what we need to do. And the second he walked out of the room, I wanted to take all that back. And I remember being angry with myself and thinking, what? Why are you doing this? I mean, people already give you a hard time for how skinny you are, and now you're going to not eat for three days, and what are you going to look like after that? And, and how are you going to, why are two hungry people best, better at listening to God than one hungry person? And I'm coming up with all these th- excuses and things of why, why did I agree to do this? It was because Grant was a good friend, and he asked me to do it, so I wanted to help him. Well, the first day was hard. You know, I, I got up, and instead of eating breakfast, I prayed for Grant, and I asked for God to give me some insight into what he should do, and then lunch and dinner. And the second day was actually a little better, because I was kind of, I guess it was past the point of having the energy to be hungry or something on that second day. But by the third day, you did not want to be around me. I mean, all I could think about was food and eating food, and the fact that I couldn't eat food, and it was Grant's fault, and I, I was irritable, and people were just, 
It was easy to find time alone with God, let's just say on the third day. And so there I am at seven in the evening on the third day, and I'm trying to pray, and I'm still thinking about food, and that's when I heard a knock on my door, and my friend Brent, who has no idea I'm fasting, just kind of shouts through the door as he's walking by, hey, I'm making a McDonald's run, do you want to go? Who would think that you could tempt somebody with the word McDonald's? But after three days of not eating, it sounded like paradise. And so I'm not proud of what happened next. I want (laughs) to tell you this, but I was too weak and too vulnerable and too selfish, I guess, to keep my promise to Grant. And so, and I didn't even have to tell Brent that I was sinning, right? So I just said, hey, yeah, I'll take a ride to McDonald's. So I get there, and that neon sign's up there in the parking lot, and I know I shouldn't be going in, but I'm going in. And 10 minutes later, because that's how long it takes to make a quality meal, 10 minutes later, (laughs) I am gorging myself on 20 pieces of golden fried chicken McNuggets. And that's when I hear a voice. Jared, what are you doing here? And it's Grant's voice. And I turn around and I look at him and I know that I've betrayed him. And he knows that I've betrayed him. And what do you say in that moment? What, what, what possible statement could I make to fix what I had done? Now, my guess is, don't worry, I'm going to come back to that story. You'll get to hear how it ends in a little bit. My guess is that of all the, the spiritual practices that we're going to look at during this series, fasting is going to be the least popular. Uh, because I think part of it is most families are probably like my family, which is we know that it's important to pray, and we've heard about you know people in the Bible fasting, but choosing not to eat for spiritual reasons is just, it's something that feels uh, like it's just not, it's not necessary. It's, it's, it's not that important. I mean, I can pray on a full stomach, right? I, I, can, I can talk to God and not be starving. And so thinking about doing that, not just doing that once, but doing it on a regular basis just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, my guess is most of us it's, it's not that we fast for spiritual reasons, it's about the only time we fast would be for a medical reason. And, and yet through Scripture, we find that there are people who, just like my friend Grant, when they want to, to open themselves up to God's heart, when they want to pursue God's will for their life, for the sake of other people, they choose not just to pray, they choose to fast and pray. I mean, it's, it's a long list of impressive people that do this in Scripture. Moses, the deliverer, David, the king, Elijah, the prophet, Esther, the queen, Daniel, the interpreter of dreams, Anna, the prophetess, Paul, the apostle, and, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All of them make the decision to refrain from eating while they're trying to listen for what God is, is going to say to them, how God is going to lead them and guide them. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 16, excuse me, we find him saying this, When you fast, 
Don't, don't put on a, a sad face like the hypocrites. They distort their faces so that people will know that they're fasting. I assure you that they have their reward. When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face, and then you won't look like you're fasting to people, but only to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus does not say, if you fast. Jesus says, when you fast. It's not like it's obscure or confusing or anything. It's, It's abundantly clear. Fasting is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. But for some reason, I think we really struggle to see the importance. We we struggle to sense the connection that fasting is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Why? Why does depriving ourselves of food help us grow spiritually? How can denying our bodies of nourishment somehow also at the same time nurture our souls? And it's It's not that far of a distance, right? It's just a hop, skip, and a jump from that kind of internal confusion where it doesn't quite make sense to us. It's just outright rejection. Most of the time I have ever tried to have a conversation about fasting in a church setting, which is usually in a Bible class, somebody immediately, before the rest of us even start to wrestle with it, says, well, I can't do that because of a medication I take. Or I can't do that because of a medical condition I have. And the second the rest of us hear that you might have a legitimate reason not to, to fast, we're, we're right on that boat with you. And I know it's true that there are people in this room for whom it, you just can't do it. But for a lot of the rest of us in this room, it's not that we can't do it, it's that we won't do it. Because we don't understand that fasting is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. That somehow, again, depriving our our bodies of nourishment can somehow nurture our souls. But I want to be clear about this. Because I know how difficult it is to think about fasting and we get stuck on, well, you may be thinking about lunch already. It is a little early. But, you know, it's hard. As soon as we start talking about something that you may have a sense in your own heart, of all the 12 practices, this isn't the one I'm trying out. I I need you to understand, it is in many ways about food, but it's not just about food. Fasting isn't isn't about legalistic, self-punishing requirements of absolutely no nutritional intake. But fasting is about choosing to deny ourselves what we want to create space for God to show us what we really need. Fasting helps us see that what you and I need more than food or water or any other kind of physical sustenance. What we need is God's guiding presence. That's what Jesus means when he responds to Satan who's saying, look, you haven't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. You are starving. Turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus' response, we sang it together during communion. I don't live by bread. That's not what keeps me alive. What keeps me alive are all the times that I'm able to feast on the Word of God. Now the question is, do you and I actually believe that that's an accurate statement, or do we think that Jesus is just using hyperbole, or it's just metaphor? Do we really believe that what keeps us alive is not just the food we eat, it's not really the food we eat. What keeps us alive is God's loving, guiding presence in our lives. 
Or does it sound more like kind of a a pie-in-the-sky spiritual fantasy? In a world that I believe does its absolute best to convince us, I guess I should say to brainwash us, into thinking that, that excess is the real way to happiness, fasting, which is choosing to deny ourselves something as basic as food, seems like an out-of-touch, crazy thing to do. I mean, if you were trying to explain this to somebody outside of the church, I think their response would be, why shouldn't we have everything we can have? Why should we go without something that we clearly can afford? What good can come from depriving ourselves of something we want when it's within our reach? Isn't isn't the best life about having every single thing we could possibly ever want? No wonder so many people in the world, and I'm afraid in the church as well, are so utterly exhausted because you cannot, I can't, you can't, we can't chase after every desire we have for more and have any energy left for anything else. In a world that is constantly redlining, racing after every impulse towards more and more and more. Fasting is one of the only ways I know of that can actually break us free from being slaves to our own desires, slaves of chasing breathlessly after every single thing we, we think might make us happy. Fasting, in other words, is one of the only practices I know of that can help us really and truly understand the difference between what we desperately want and what we truly need. And those are, not, those are not always the same thing at all. And how can we see that truth unless we, we enter into a spiritual practice that opens our eyes to it? Fasting is about denying ourselves something we want. Something we want so much that if we were to stop either chasing after it or partaking in it, we would start to find ourselves in a couple of days obsessed with it. Denying ourselves by choice, not by force, but by choice. And not just food. It is about food, but it's not just about food. Even in Scripture, there's, there's this sense that you deny yourself of things that are all too important to you to remind you of what is of most importance to you, which is God. God in your life. God speaking to you through your, your sense of how you should live, through God's word, through motivations, through, through invitations. God walking beside you, that that's what is most important. And if you're chasing after all other things that, that you might think might give you a sense of importance, how are you going to have any space in your heart or in your schedule or in your life to taste the goodness of what matters most? Fasting is not just about food. It is about self-denial. It's about more than just choosing not to eat. So here's, here's the definition. Fasting is setting limits on what we have so we can have more space for good. Fasting is setting limits on what we have so we can have more space for good. It's, it's not only about self-emptying, though that is where it always starts. 
It's, it's self-emptying with the expectation that God and God alone can fulfill who you, who you are and who you want to be and who you can be. If you've got a Bible, open up to Isaiah chapter 58. We're starting in verse 6. Up to this point, the prophet Isaiah has been talking to the, the people of God and, and has talked about how they fast, but they've just reduced it to a, a religious requirement that they, they want everyone else to know about, and, and that's, they, they want that to somehow be enough. That they would pray, and they would fast, and then they would automatically be close to God's heart. And God wants them to understand through Isaiah that it's not just about self-emptying, it's about self-emptying so that we can be filled with God's Spirit. And when we are filled with God's Spirit, then we live a certain way. So Isaiah says, isn't this the fast that I choose? Not, not just refraining from eating so that you get spiritual extra credit. Isn't this the fast I choose? Releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated, and breaking every yoke. Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry? And bringing the homeless poor into your house? Covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? Then your light will break out like the dawn and you will be healed quickly. Your own righteousness will walk before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, I'm here. If you remove the yoke from among you, the the finger pointing, the wicked speech, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noon. The Lord will will guide you continually and provide for you even in parched places. He will rescue your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. They will rebuild ancient ruins on your account. The foundations of generations past you will restore. And listen to this. You will be called by new names. You will be called mender of broken homes and restorer of livable streets. Fasting is setting limits on what we have so we can have more space for good. These verses in Isaiah make it clear that fasting isn't just about limiting our intake of food. Fasting is about intentionally limiting our intake of everything. Because there's a whole world out there full of people that don't have enough. They don't have enough of anything that God wants to give them through us. And if God is going to bless them through us, you and I are going to have to decide when enough is enough. And so Isaiah talks about, look, if you want to be a bigger part of God's mission to the broken people, to to the people who are living in desperate need, then you're going to have to make a decision on your own to set limits. So, So let's get real practical with this from this text. We fast from food, not just to be alone, and not just to listen to God. 
Though those are things that fasting allows us to do when we fast from food. We fast from food so we can share more of the food we have with those who need it. We fast from spending money just on ourselves so that we can have even more money to share with those who don't have nearly enough. We, we fast from listening to those who tell us that we should be very afraid about the future and what the future holds. We fast from feasting on those unhealthy words so that we can have the courage to do what's right no matter what the cost. We fast from throwing our weight around in order to make things turn out exactly the way we want to and instead we share that very real social power and influence that we have to speak up for those who really have no ability to speak up for themselves, those who don't have enough influence to change the way things are. We fast from an an endlessly growing list of social commitments so that we can share more time with those in our lives who we deeply love and we never seem to have enough time left over for them. We fast from having a judgmental, critical spirit so that instead we can share gentleness and kindness with the people who are very difficult to be kind towards. We fast from TV and smartphones and everything else that cries out constantly for our attention so that we can share more of our presence, more of our focus with people who God places right in front of us. These are just some of the things that you and I can and should be deciding to fast from, to refrain from, to set limits on ourselves for the sake of love, for the sake of other people. We fast. Fasting is is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. And so we set limits on all that we have so that we can have more space for good, so that we can have more space for God and God's goodness, so that we can have more space for God to turn us into good people who live good lives that are filled with good things. Another way to think of it, brothers and sisters, is we say no to what we want so that we can say yes to something even better. So there I was sitting at McDonald's inhaling a box of chicken McNuggets. Jared, Grant asked, what are you doing here? I turned around and I looked in his face and I had betrayed him and we both knew it. And I'd like to tell you that I faced the music and I, I admitted everything right then, but I didn't. I instead in spiritual immaturity, trying to turn the, the tables on him. And I said, what, what are you doing here? There's only one reason to be here, and it's to eat food. And you're claiming I'm in the wrong place. You're standing in the same place. What are you doing here? How dare you? While I'm wiping tangy barbecue sauce away from the corners of my mouth. And Grant just shakes his head, crestfallen, and says, what? I'm only in here because I was driving past and I saw you sitting at this table and I thought it certainly couldn't be you, but you were sitting right in front of the biggest window in the place and it sure looked like you. And, and so I came in here just to check to see, didn't we agree that we were going to fast for three days and we were going to pray and listen to God and, and then we were going to talk about it? Yeah, yeah, we, we agreed to that. And I'm sorry. 
and he walked away. And in my shame, I found that, that I knew that I had made this choice, and I had made this decision, and nobody had forced me to, and that here was a good friend of mine who'd asked me to do what should have been a, a relatively simple thing, and I couldn't do it. I wasn't willing to do it. And so later that night, I found Grant, and I apologized to him, and he was still hurt, and he was still angry, but he forgave me. And then he said, okay, well, you did fast and pray for two and a half days. So what, what did you hear? What, what did God guide you to say to me? And I said to Grant, look, I'm not, it's not that I'm just not good at skipping meals. I'm not all that good at knowing exactly how to listen to God. I mean, I know how to read the Bible. I know how to do what's right according to the Bible. But I, I, I will say that I prayed for two and a half days for you. And over and over and over again, my sense of you going to this church and working with these people has strengthened. And Grant's response was, that's exactly what I have been feeling the last three days. And then we called his parents, and on speakerphone we talked it over, and they felt the same exact conviction that Grant needed to go to this church in this city to work with these people. And I couldn't deny it at that point. I wanted to, but I could not deny at that point that denying ourselves for three days for the specific purpose of opening ourselves up to, to letting God guide us Well, wouldn't you know it, that God honored that sacrifice. God honored that self-denial and filled us with a sense of the answer we were searching for. It it changed my prayer life. Grant's request for me to, to fast and pray for him changed my sense of, maybe it wasn't just that that God wasn't speaking to me. Maybe it was that I had never created enough space. And I had never focused long enough on the same question and talked to other Christians and tried to, in community, seek God's will for my life and their life together for the sake of the world. Maybe it's that I hadn't tried. And that in trying, in in just simply honoring my friend's request, God had spoken to me in a way that God never had before. Fasting isn't really about what we have to go without. I think that's kind of the focus, naturally. But I don't think that's what it's about. And I don't think that fasting is really about how much less we get to experience. I think fasting is actually about having more space for good that only comes when we choose to limit ourselves for the sake of love. To limit ourselves for the sake of someone else. The question is, do you really believe that? Do I really believe that? That somehow... Denying myself of something by choice opens me up in a way that, that's unique. Opens me up in a way that I can't deny. And allows God to do something in me and through me that maybe God has never done before. I want you to wrestle with that this week. Uh, if you'll look at the, the little booklet that we've given you this morning... The first thing I'd like to encourage you to do is if, if you can, I, I think you should refrain from eating for some length of time, long enough 
that you start to have to feel the pain of, of deciding not to eat. Now, again, if you've got a medical condition, please um, do, do what's safe for you. But if you don't have a medical condition, I think this week you, you should pick 12 hours, 24 hours, maybe 72 hours. Pick a length of time to not eat. Use the space in your schedule that you would normally uh, use up eating to be times that you pray specifically to God for God to show you something. That's almost always why people fast and pray in Scripture is they're getting ready to make a decision that's going to impact a lot of other people. And they want God's wisdom and guidance. So do that. But here's, here's four other recommendations that we would like you to consider trying this week. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend trying all of them because then you'll probably break Jesus' recommendation that not everybody in your life knows you're fasting. So if you, you try to fast from all these at the same time, I'm guessing that, you know, your hair will be disheveled and you'll need to wash your face and all the stuff that Jesus warns against. So, but look at this list and think about something that you might be willing to try. Take a 24-hour break from being critical of anyone in any way. Even in your prayers about them, by the way. It might be a quiet day. I don't know. Take a 72-hour break from media sources that tend to make you feel afraid. Our, our media is driven on the conviction that we love to feast on fear. Take a break from that. Take a five-day break from your favorite phone app by deleting it. By favorite phone app, I mean the one that takes the most time. Take a one-week break from eating out. That's hard too. I know we all have busy schedules and and we fall into that because of that. But after trying one or more of these, what I want you to do is think about what kind of impact did it make, not just in your life, but in how you interacted with the people around you. And more specifically, I want to kind of make that Isaiah 58 turn. When you fast from these things, you suddenly have more. You have more time, you have more money, you have Uh, better words that you can share. And so it's not just about saying no to something, it's about saying no to something so we can say yes to something even better. And so if you don't eat out for a week, that's a lot of money you save. Instead of just putting that back in your bank account, choose someone, choose an organization, choose an opportunity, and give that exact amount away, trusting that God will bless you for partnering with God and taking care of the needs of others by intentionally intentionally limiting your own use of resources because you believe that what keeps you alive is not all the stuff you have, but the God who has you. That's what keeps you alive. Think about it, pray about it, and I really want to encourage you to choose one of these practices to try this week. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in various places throughout this room They're there to pray with you. They're there to visit with you, to talk with you. So if you came this morning and you've got more questions about our church, about what we believe, what it means to become a Christian, if you came with a prayer request or a concern, or if you came with great news that you just want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving about, please go to these couples um, as we're staying. And see, I'm going to ask those couples to stand up real quickly so you can kind of see where they are throughout the room. They want to receive you. Uh, So go to them as together we stand and sing.